The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now, here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Well, good Wednesday morning to all of you out there, and welcome again to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. It's a beautiful spring day here in Portland, Oregon, and of course, I am your host, Nora Gedgaudis, and it is such a privilege to be here today. Well, my first order of business uh, today is actually to let all of you know that this show will actually be my last broadcast of Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio for at least a while. Now, the cost of producing this show together with the demands of my practice and several other time-consuming obligations I have have just really made it, sadly, impractical for me to continue with, with Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. That said, I have new and exciting things in store for everybody coming in the near future. Um, the best thing for all of you to do is, is certainly frequent my website at www.primalbody-primalmind.com and better yet, uh, sign up for my weekly newsletter so that you can all stay on top of all the latest updates. It's been an incredible experience uh, doing this show, but there really is more and better to come in the not-too-distant future. Uh, there are even some television and film projects in the works, so stay tuned through my website and newsletter. Anyways, that being said, I want to get on to the topic of today's show, which I think is a uh, is actually an incredibly important topic and a rather fitting one for the last show. We're talking today about the future of healthcare and also creating a new paradigm for that. Now, we all just came through this agonizing year of what's been termed, quote, healthcare debate, and an effort or, you know, an effort to, or at least sort of a hope around an overhaul of the existing insurance-based healthcare system in favor of one that was maybe perhaps a little more humane and affordable. Well, we're all, we were all hostage to endless political posturing and manipulation by the media that was designed to make us all feel like we were working toward a better or or maybe worse, depending on your politics and the channels you watch, system of management. You know, corporate interests ultimately orchestrated most of what transpired on both sides of the political fence, but no one really bothered to question the underlying notion of what health care actually is. And in the end, it became a screaming match over who was going to pay for what and how. You know, we were we were sort of duped into thinking it was all about health care when it was really about insurance, insurance overhaul or insurance management. So although it's my personal view that I think, I think some manner of addressing emergency care, for instance, should be a basic human right for any citizen of this or any country, and this should simply be made available in some way. Um, in my mind, most of what was being debated was a misplaced issue, 
and the real problem was never really addressed. So forgive the soapbox here, but I mean, as long as America remains a corporatocracy, uh, it never really will be addressed. I think uh, by the by the powers that be. Um, so what's called healthcare today really has absolutely nothing whatever to do with health, and it's instead almost solely focused on disease management or, at best, health scare tactics by government agencies that are driven by pharmaceutical interests promoting these highly questionable mass vaccinations for highly questionable pandemics. But where does health, real health, enter into all of this, and how do we as citizens suffering the ravages of what's really a sick, corrupt, and broken healthcare system take control of this issue and find the solutions we all need? Um, I would submit that most of us have been insidiously and maybe not so insidiously subjugated to very power and money-hungry interests related to health care for far too long. The system in place would basically have us believe that the media, the medical industry, drug manufacturers, and food companies are all very well-meaning and essentially there to further our best interests. Um, if only a more just insurance system would simply pay for fixing what's broken along the way, everything would be okay. But the way I see it, it really isn't that simple. The problem, the underlying problem, isn't costs or, quote, who pays, unquote. It's hubris. It's it's a fundamental hubris of a corrupt uh, corporate and profit-driven system, and it's hubris on the part of all of us having the idea that we can simply do what we want, indulge in whatever we want, ignore whatever we want, and not understand that there are far-reaching health consequences for this that we can no longer pay for on really any level. And, and the whole healthcare system just seems to be collapsing before our eyes. So what's the solution? In my view, we need to set a new paradigm of self-care and self-responsibility. We need to put our grown-up pants on, <laughs> people, you know, which, you know, we take, which means that we take uh, we need to, a paradigm in which we take an interest in how our food is grown and raised, what's going on in our environment, how we manage stress. Um, you know, we need to pay attention to how our food and water and air supply um, are being treated and what's in them, um, how our bodies function, and what we need to do, not just what somebody else needs to do for us, to keep our health functioning more optimally. We need to question and not simply throw out, but intelligently question accepted beliefs, assumptions, and systems in place. And we need to cultivate a model of self-care that is one of, I believe, self-empowerment and not merely consumerism and corporate manipulation. So we also need a very fundamental means of managing the biggest killer of all, stress. How do we do this? Well, today we are welcoming back to the show one of the greatest thinkers I've ever known and a decided force for good in the world. Dr. Siegfried Osmer is chief scientist at the EEG Institute in Woodland Hills, California. From 1987 to 2000, he was president of EEG Spectrum and until 2002 served as chief scientist of EEG Spectrum International. Dr. Osmer provides training for professionals in EEG biofeedback and presents research findings in professional forums. It is my honor and heartfelt pleasure to welcome my dear friend and among the most important influences of my life, Dr. Siegfried Osmer, to the show. Welcome, Siegfried. Yeah. Hi, Nora. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hi. 
So just to pick up on on uh, your uh, your message there, uh, what I what I heard is that the healthcare issue needs to be embedded in in a larger in a larger context uh, of the quality the quality of our lives, um, for which ultimately we individually bear uh, right. responsibility. And um, and so, uh, if one were to identify flaws in the system that exists, uh, it manages by compartmentalization. Yeah. And uh, so, just like we had uh, in connection with the the uh, uh, congressional investigation yesterday on the oil blowout, with you've got three people sitting there, uh, you know, congressional witnesses pointing at uh, each other. Uh, <laughs> Blaming each other, right. and uh, so who's who's got the ball? Who's got the responsibility, and so forth? Well, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, that it was a, a linked event, of, of course, in in which uh, ultimately responsibility is going to be found to be in, in, in several places. There was a chain of events, um, uh, but uh, just to get closer to the issue, uh, to our issue, uh, we we obviously need to move to a perspective that is more integrated and the existing system can't uh, can't get us there so uh, we're we're already seeing uh, and we're seeing this in, in your listenership and so forth a a thrust toward uh an individual taking of responsibility because we realize that the the system is fundamentally not oriented toward that so the, yeah. the issue the issue is maintenance of functionality and that the best measure we have uh, for the uh, for healthcare to, uh, is a preventive one, and that pre- uh, the heart of a preventive strategy is the maintenance of functionality in all our in all our dimensions. Yes. And um, and, and what's uh, what's relatively new in that is uh, the fact that we now can bring the brain into the discussion as well, and find that once that uh, once we have that discussion. Uh, we realize that the, that brain function is uh, is key to a, to a whole bunch of issues uh, where we haven't had a chance to admit the brain to the discussion simply because the brain wasn't giving us good answers. Right. Uh, and so, uh, and also, we didn't know how to ask good questions. Um, but now, all of that is changing. It's cha- changing before our eyes. It's changing very rapidly. So, all of a sudden, uh, we can intervene with our own physiology. Uh, in in a variety of ways uh, for a profound benefit and and the the maintenance of, of functionality is is the best hope we have of staving off the medical uh, the medical disasters uh, that that basically uh, the, the existing healthcare model is concerned with right um, right I mean uh, you know conventional medicine is what it is you know for those who who feel victim you know to illness and are willing to entrust their their well-being to a system that's sort of driven by profit, but with respect to neurofeedback and, and nutrition, both these models stand as basically self-empowerment tools, which is, I think, what the future of true health care needs to be. And, um, you know, what, when you um, uh, exercise one, you know, you're exercising your way to an efficient, functioning brain, and uh, you know, come to understand enough about how your body works and, and what constitutes a general uh, healthy diet, then you're empowered to live a much healthier life, mentally, emotionally, physically. And your choices and actions in life come from a much clearer and healthier place. And 
and you know the less you know likely you are to fall victim of course of that meat grinder that seems to be our our healthcare system right right now uh, the the problem with all of this is is that uh the the message uh that we that you're sending and so forth and that that we're in 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 effect institutionalizing through our work with neurofeedback uh this self-care model uh is is ultimately accessible right now only uh to the few uh for financial reasons and otherwise uh, right. you know and so we we face uh, if 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 we are looking toward a generic solution for the society at large uh then one has to ask the question how does this propagate uh to where everybody in the society benefits because unfortunately the people who need this message the most uh are least able to adopt a self-care strategy. Right. So it, it, so, it really falls apart at that point. Yes. So what conditions, in your view, would have to be met for our society to be supportive of a transition to more of a self-care model? I mean, I think in some ways this is already happening here and there, and that necessity really becomes the mother of such an invention. But Yeah. Um, well, okay, so this, this, is where, this is where we have to bring uh, the society into the picture. The society here has to, has to play a role uh and and this is beyond as you said beyond the, the health care bill we've just just had uh which you know which does uh the the minimum that a civilized society should do by the way let me just throw in here it turns out that uh that one of my ancestors my great grandfather or whatever um uh, was the the person who instituted the world's first uh, uh insurance system under uh Otto von Bismarck in Germany uh, he huh. was uh, secretary of uh, of state, uh, what they what they call secretary of state. There, actually, what we would call secretary of the interior, and um, and so they instituted the uh, the world's first, even before England, the world's first insurance uh, system. This was 1884, and um, the the interesting thing is these were the conservatives, <laughs> uh, oh. and they did so in a sense to take wind out of the sails of. Uh, of the socialists, right? So he, yeah. they took their issue away by saying, well, you know, this is really a good thing to do. And it turns out, for that reason, Germany was the first. Um, and, and here we are, you know, more than 100 years later in catch-up mode in the United States. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, we don't, don't need, to, uh, don't need to, to dwell on that. We do, <laughs> need, we do need a society, societal role here. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the issues that... Uh, was driving my thinking here uh, is, is is that the the incidence of mental illness oh yeah uh, correlates very strongly with income in the United States and uh, now I see that uh, you know mental illness is kind of the uh, the part of the iceberg that sticks up out of the out of the water and there's a ninety percent of it underneath the waterline which is uh, you know brain based dysfunction. The larger picture of where the brain is just sort of not uh, doing what it could for the person. It's not mental illness overtly. He doesn't quite read, uh, reach diagnostic criteria, but the brain is just not not functioning for the person in various ways. Right. And so, so this I take to be uh, the problem. So, the correlation of mental illness with with income in the U.S. Um, I see as essentially uh, illustrating the the importance of uh, this larger issue of brain-based dysfunction. Now, well, and I would also submit that there's there's a real danger in this time, actually for all of us, uh, of economic fear 
and crisis to sort of shortchange the quality of the food that we eat by leaning on cheap, processed, or starch-based foods as a means of saving money, which I think may have a lot to do with where this um, where this social issue exists, this, this income-based issue. Right. Uh, I think it's utterly critical that we're not allowing ourselves to be seduced by that thinking. Um, and, you know, fully 90 cents out of every dollar spent in this country right now is being spent on processed food. So where it makes sense to save money on unnecessary luxuries like, um, you know, like in an uncertain time, um, I think a healthy quality diet, and especially uh, and unnecessary supplementation, shouldn't be viewed as a luxury, I think, especially now. Um, but uh, we need to go to our first break. So uh, everybody, we're talking today with Dr. Siegfried Hothmer, and we're discussing the whole issue of where our health care system is going and uh, creating a whole new paradigm, a new way of thinking about that. My name is Nora Gadgaudis, and you're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to the show. We're talking today with Dr. Siegfried Osmer about the future of healthcare, and we're talking about the importance of generating a new self-care model of health management and how we might accomplish this. 
you know, so much when it comes to health is about uh, choice, and of course, the choices that we make are based on our uh, on our you know sort of emotional history, um, our mental state, and the you know the biochemical lens through which we see the world. You know, are we making choices about our health from a place of addiction? or uh, from anxiety or fear or depressive powerlessness or poor focus. I mean, there's so much challenging us on so many levels today that our most, you know, our most ancient ancestors could never have even begun to fathom what it is we have to deal with now. So, I mean, there's so much that we have no control over, but we have to take control of what we can. And I think a healthy brain, certainly supported by uh, quality nutrition and the kind of optimizing brain function, something like neurofeedback can offer can certainly give us all the best possible odds of a future where disease management doesn't have to enter into the equation. Well, what are your thoughts about all this? Yeah, um, well, okay, two uh, two sides. One one is that the this thrust toward individual um, individuals taking responsibility for their care still uh, requires a uh, a society that is fundamentally supportive of that. Uh, it uh, right and right now that uh, that does not exist. So right. right now the success is on an individual level, where people just barrel on, you know, with with this strategy in mind and they they're successful. But extrapolating that strategy for the society at large requires also a change in in the society. One of the things that that I was uh, triggered uh, triggered me on this uh, correlation of uh, mental illness uh, with with income. Uh, in the United States, uh, that this is, uh, turns out, you know, we, we, you would expect it to be universally true in developed countries, but that's not the case. It's, it's apparently only the case in the U.S. and the U.K. Mm. And uh, you say, okay, well, we're not surprised that's the case in the United States, given our health care system. But the U.K. UK has, uh, you know, a, a health care system and has had for decades, uh, and it's still true there. So uh, whatever is being done for mental health is, is really not resolving point. this particular issue. But it's not true. This is not true in – this correlation does not hold in continental Europe. And, and that's an interest – you know, that leads to an interesting question. Why should that correlation not exist in, in Europe? And, uh, and I submit that that is because um, in, in Europe, in continental Europe, we still have more uh, – a larger role being played – uh, by the society, that the 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 individual who fails in mental health terms is still part of a uh, smaller or larger network with, within the family uh, or within the immediate society, so that his personal failure uh, through mental illness or whatever does does not translate to a personal financial catastrophe as right. it might in the United States. Oh yeah, the number one source of bankruptcy in the U.S. right now doesn't relate to housing issues, but to healthcare costs. Right, right. Yeah, uh, and and a lot of that, if you trace it back, uh, can be traced to issues that that uh, are brain based. Uh, even if ultimately, you know, it uh, it ends up with something that has a medical label on it, uh, you can trace things back uh, to. Uh, uh, to, to a brain-based uh, kind of issue that, that we can now, uh, can now deal with. Um, so th- this, is, this then indicates to me this is, that the, the society has to be friendly to the adoption of a, a self-care uh, model, has to be supportive of that. So it has to clearly play a, play a role. 
that there are only a few people in society that can sustain a self-care model. Uh, you, p- people can't do this by people who are mentally ill or close to it or mentally dysfunctional. Uh, typically, can't just bootstrap it. They need help. They need outside help. Right. And in a uh, in the current system, it's just not it's just not going to happen. It's not going to come. I don't think from the public model. I think we need to be generating something on a much more grassroots level in that regard. Uh, 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 yes. So uh, so first of all, what's required is uh, is a sort of more general awareness of the potential here of the self care model. That that you know this isn't just talking at the margins. We're talking about core issues here. Uh, that we can substantially change uh, our uh, fate with regard to the serious medical issues by adopting a self-care model uh, that includes, you know, n- n- nutrition, uh, exercise, and and brain training. Yeah. And uh, I would argue that even a lot of physical exercise ultimately has benefits for brain function. So now we can also go direct and just train the brain for uh, for more optimal functioning. Uh, you know, with, with, which a lot of people we look at uh, around us uh, have for free. You know, we we see the successful people who, by by luck, are are blessed with a functioning brain. Yeah. And uh, and now this is this is actually accessible to uh, to so many of us uh, through uh, through the medium of of brain of brain based training. And so the first thing that has to happen is just a, a more general awareness that this is possible. And, and then a, a diffusion of competence uh, in, in allowing this technique uh, to be uh, to be readily available, uh, not only to the to the well-to-do and and the upper middle class and the struggling middle class. Right, right. You know, and the, the whole idea that, that that the brain and the body, of course, are separate uh, things, of course, is an entire myth. It's all part of the same functioning or dysfunctioning system. It kind of has to be understood together in context. So anything we do to manage our brain better is automatically going to translate to better functioning system overall. Right. Right. So so here the compartmentalization that I talked about of healthcare uh, right. early on uh becomes compounded by a uh a more intellectual divide uh because we simply have not in practice moved beyond the the mind body uh problem. Uh, you know, we, we sort of say intellectually that we've moved beyond it, but in practice we haven't. Right. Uh, you know, when we when we go home to do our, you know, or go to the office to do our work, uh, the the brain body mind body divide is is fully in place, <laughs> and 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 that's uh, and that's catastrophic. I don't, uh, you know, we have to break out of that again through uh, probably a a boundary breaking initiative. Uh, and that's kind of the role that neurofeedback is playing. It's, it's kind of forcing uh, people to uh, to take seriously a modality which sits right there at the nexus of of, right. uh, of mind and body. It's basically. Well, I think that the system in place is one that has generated this illusion of compartmentalization, which of course is much more empowering to the system because it seems overwhelming to us. Um, but, you know, when people come into our offices and they're complaining of, well, you know, I have attention problems, I have migraines, I'm also anxious, and gee, I'm also depressed, and I can't sleep at night, to the person walking into the office, those are all very separate issues that in the conventional paradigm and conventional medical model would be <clears throat> treated as uh, separ- several separate illnesses. Right. And, of course, in our model, we're looking at a central dysregulation, 
that um, that simplifies things considerably. And we're not necessarily treating illness. We're just helping the system function uh, better so that these symptoms are less likely to manifest. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the problem is that uh, mainstream practitioners coming to this, uh, this new uh, perspective, uh, this new field with their existing prejudices, are likely to want to shoehorn it into the, their existing framework, right. which is which has which is burdened by the old divisions, right? And so some people want to medicalize neurofeedback. Other people want to treat it as a part and parcel of traditional psychology, when in fact it doesn't fit into either of those boxes. I don't believe so either. Right, and and so what what happens is it it doesn't it's not a congenial fit uh, to any existing uh, profession. And, and hence has the, the opportunity to kind of grow de novo uh, a, a new class of, of practitioners that comes with a new perspective. And, and, that, uh, and that, that, I think, is how the self-care model um, will, will most likely assert itself, the, the, uh, the killer application <laughs> uh, in healthcare yeah. is, uh, is the uh, recovery of brain function. Yes. Recovery and maintenance of brain function. However, we get that, and nutrition is part of that. Physical exercise is part of that, and uh, and neurofeedback and its allies are. It part ought of to that. be part of that too. Well, Sigrid, we have to go to another break, but um, everybody, please stick around. We're talking with Siegfried Othmer today of the EEG Institute, and we're discussing the whole idea of creating a whole new paradigm in healthcare. This is an exciting discussion. I hope you'll stick around for it. I'm Nora Gadgaudis. You're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we will be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. 
Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Siegfried Othmer uh, from the EEG Institute talking today about the future of healthcare and what we can do to create a new paradigm and where things like neurofeedback and nutrition um, fit into the picture. Um, uh, one thing that uh, I was uh, w- wanting to ask you about, um, too, was, uh, Siegfried, was what role you know you see public education uh, uh, playing in this. And, and the problem in my mind is, is sort of coming to an agreement of what constitutes health. You know, we really haven't defined this concept well, and also what might constitute quality self-management, um, of course, is a, is a subject for hot debate all by itself. Uh, we don't even really have a consensus to go on, which is what brings us back to that place of self-created healthcare based on individual uh, research and, and, and preference. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, of course, a, 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 real, a, a real dilemma because the society can, can act, can really act only when the, on matters where there's a reasonable consensus. And and that uh, that means that the people who are at the front new, forefront of new movements like this uh, will always be frustrated because the society is so far behind. Right. But it seems to me, you know, we're we're 40 years into a, a, a basic recognition by the world of science that uh, in the United States that our physiology is responsive to information, and uh, and this this has its it's trivial aspects as well as its more esoteric aspects when it comes to the brain. So, for for example, um, the simple matter of the control of our breath. Here we have um, a situation where uh, our breath is both automatically controlled. You know, the brain the brain takes care of it. The system right. takes care of it. We don't have to think about it. But when we do think about it, we can control it exquisitely, like in, in singing in, in an opera singer, for example. Uh, so it gives the power of speech because we can put it under voluntary control. Mm-hmm. And so here, here we have the, the nexus of, of uh, both voluntary control of the breath and, uh, and auto, uh, autonomic, automatic control of the breath. So here we have a way of intervening with a system that is profoundly uh, effective on some significant mental health issues, for example, such as asthma. A trivial technique that anybody can learn that basically deals with asthma. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and this has been known for some years. Why is this a secret? You know, uh, Hard to make money out of breathing. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's, that's right. So, yeah. uh, but the information can, can be spread. So here would be, let's say, a point of departure where... 
uh, I can imagine a school system um, readily uh, teaching about the fact that uh, simple attention to the breath has profound physiological implications. And the, the take-home message would be, gee, I have control, some control. I can exercise a certain amount of control over the functioning of my system. Right. I have a choice here. Now, so we get anxious people walking into our office. We get uh, children with inhalers, uh, you know, in their jacket uh, coming to the office. And all of these people are unaware of the fact that they can have exquisite control of their vulnerabilities just with control of the breath. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this, this of course, is, is also involved with the meditative tra- traditions. So this here is a way of bringing together uh, Western notions where we bring instrumentation to bear and all of that, plus Eastern notions uh, that have been there for, uh, for many centuries, if not millennia, uh, all clearly valid, uh, but, uh, you know, maybe not, uh, in some cases, meeting Western standards of uh, scientific rectitude because we haven't bothered to study it, but, but clearly, uh, you know, validated through time. Um, the, the powerful influence uh, that we have over our system just with the breath. Mm-hmm. And that, that can then be the, the sort of the, uh, the icebreaker, if you will, for a more general approach to the topic uh, of, of self-regulation that, to make people aware of... Biofeedback, the, right? Yeah, of biofeedback, of, of their, uh, their, their own potential of influencing their own physiology. It's amazing just the degree to which this, this works. If you simply show a person uh, uh, their, their own breath waveform, it immediately changes. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we want to study people's breath, we have to not show them the data because if we show them the data, they'll immediately their brain, their system will immediately act upon it and change it. Yep. it right? It's a, it's it's almost automatic that you cannot witness it without impacting on it. Yep. And um, and of course, you know, well, that's a very conscious process. Which of course, the process of neurofeedback is functioning on a slightly different level that way. But right, yeah, and that's uh, that's the next step. If with neurofeedback, we're just talking to the brain, and <laughs> you know. Uh, we, the conscious self, is, is a bit of a bystander. It doesn't know where the action is, you know. But it has such a hard time with that. I mean, just the, 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 the conscious mind has got to be the most narcissistic entity in the entire universe. It thinks it's running the show. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, <laughs> which it clearly is not. And it's a, obviously always a frustration for, for, you know, especially type A personality adults who come in and sit there and they can't understand how their brain is doing anything without the permission of their conscious minds. Yes, and of course, it's a particular uh, characteristic of the left brain to to assume that it's in charge. Right. Uh, and and now, of course, uh, since the left brain has has the advantage of being so verbal, um, it can also assert itself, uh, uh, you know, against the nonverbal right hemisphere. So, in the immediate, you know, arguments on stage, the the left hemisphere has a tendency to win. Yes. When in fact. Um, we have to. Uh, the right hemisphere probably has more to do with governing what we actually do, and more to do w- with who we are as human beings. Right. Uh, but but those things, again, because they are in, in autopilot, not immediately accessible to us. Uh, we take them as givens, and uh, we think that's who we are. Uh, well, it is who we are, but it, that doesn't mean it's not changeable. Right. Um, and of course, the whole idea that those things are changeable are, are also somewhat frightening, but they they needn't be. Right. 
What do you think about how much burden can be placed upon the individual in this versus, say, maybe a more government-based approach? Uh, ah, yes. Well, that's uh, that's that's a huge uh, that's a huge issue. Um, I think that, that government, you know, we've we've had some attempts here, for example, of bringing neurofeedback into school systems. This has been going on for twenty years, right? And by and large, those efforts have have not uh, not borne fruit, um, uh, simply because this is not the core issue, not seen as the core issue by the school. So even even when neurofeedback has done it. Uh, what it was expected to do, and children flourish. You have to follow the money and see where the funding is. Yes. Yeah, it just—it's—it's it's not the primary concern of of the schools as as they exist. So, so I do see the the roles the schools playing a a more limited role of simply opening the door conceptually, bringing into the school system an education about uh, self regulation, about the you know the potential for self care. But that's not where it gets done. Uh, it, it needs to get done more in the in the private sphere. It's just that the state has to pay for it. It's just like when children are in trouble now, uh, you know, they get farmed out to private care, and the school system pays for it uh, or not. And um, and then likewise, there there's, there is a competence here in, in that's required in brain training. Uh, that is just not going to be readily available with uh, within this uh, within the school system. Yeah, and and so I just see. This well, the, and the, there's an issue too of funding. Where where the funding is supposed to come from for these programs when they can barely afford to buy pencils and you know pads of paper and books uh, for students uh, today in classes. So much has been cut from educational funding. So this would have to be something almost that was you know provided by some sort of uh, foundation or benefactor or or, or something. Well, of course, this is where the society is, is, is misguided, and that, that clearly has, has to change. Right. And this is, this is clearly where Europe is ahead of us. Um, uh, I think one, one of the things that needs to, needs to happen uh, in the United States, we, we, have to, we have to open the windows to the rest of the world and realize we're, we're actually not the world's ideal, particularly in this, in, this, in this regard. And we've gone too far in the direction uh, of uh, of starving uh, the commons, and uh, particularly when it comes to education. Even now, you look at uh, you look at what we're spending on education. We're spending uh, you know over a hundred thousand dollars to educate each child just through the elementary uh, grades. Uh, if if you add neurofeedback to that, uh, that that would add at most uh, something like two thousand dollars per child. Okay, yeah. so that's two percent. Um, Imagine what you get for that two percent. Right. You're dealing. You're dealing probably with a large fraction of uh, learning disabled children uh, and emotionally troubled children. More than ever before, it is so epidemic in schools. Right. So, so these these children are, are not. Their nervous systems are not prepared to learn, and and to cram information to those nervous systems is simply pointless. They, they, they cannot. Uh, they cannot keep up, and th- this is. This, I think, is, is categorical. I mean, if the, the, the uh, what is being demanded of children in the elementary grades, any functioning nervous system ought to be able to to assimilate. Yes. If they are not able to handle material at that level, there's a brain-based problem, and it could be in the emotional realm. It could be a traumatized child. Whatever the child is not available, that brain is not available for learning, and uh, and so there is such a clear-cut case for for starting. 
uh, early on, uh, you know, when these problems first surface, and give help with uh, with brain-based training. That's that's of course where it has to start, and the the, the state has to fund it. And and look where the benefit is. We, we're spending thirty percent in education on learning disabled children, uh, you know, and and other and other care. So that can be radically reduced. In other words, there should be no net cost for the neurofeedback. The cost reduction of care for learning disabled children uh, should should more than make up for the cost of neurofeedback. And that doesn't even begin to uh, to uh, to cost uh, to take into account the savings later. Right. Uh, you know the the dysfunction that just propagates after high school. You know yeah. when people are not uh, cannot contribute to the economy. My God, what we're paying uh, here for juvenile justice and uh, minor criminality. Uh, you know it's it's huge what right. what we're paying in our society for the lack of success of our schools. Yeah, there's a perception, I think, of neurofeedback as being an expensive intervention because in the short term the costs appear to be, you know, appear to be high, but really, you know, it's a short term intervention for long term self-regulation. In fact, in my view, you know, neurofeedback is the ultimate self-empowerment model because it is all about self-regulation, long term right. self-regulation. It's not something that you're dependent on for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, what I want to do, where I see things going, is that that uh, the short-term intervention, which is the model we have now, it's 20 sessions and out or 40 sessions and out, whatever, uh, you get what you get. Now I want to turn that into a continuing, ongoing care model where the clinician plays a very minor role, supportive role, but where the person basically takes this and runs with it. So, mm-hmm. so uh, as the person goes off to college, faces other challenges, uh, tries to get a job in Hollywood as, as an actor or and so forth, or, you know, faces writer's block or he faces performance anxiety when he's in auditioning or all this stuff. There, there are other issues that come along later in life. Then uh, neurofeedback is available. You know, it's not just, oh, I did that 10 years ago uh, and it did something for me. No, it's available now. It's available on an ongoing basis. And that, that as we go through different stages in life, uh, the neurofeedback is still always there in the grab bag of, of things that we can do to restore uh, or enhance function. Yeah, and well, and increasingly that's true because there are more neurofeedback providers worldwide than ever before, and that number is just uh, exponentially growing. Well, we need to take one last break here, uh, Siegfried, so I, I hope everybody continues to stick around because we, uh, we have more discussion to come about the whole idea of creating a new paradigm in healthcare. I hope everybody... Um, is able to do that. And my name is Nora Gudgaudis. Uh, you're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. 
Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're talking today with Dr. Siegfried Osmer, and we're talking about the idea of creating a new healthcare paradigm that is one based essentially in self-empowerment and also self-responsibility. And while we were on break, Siegfried, um, we were talking uh, some about the idea, um, the broader idea of making something like neurofeedback much more universally available. You have some exciting um, ideas about that. Yeah, the you know right now we have a model that uh, is basically disease-oriented, diagnosis-oriented, and so mm-hmm. forth. So uh, one one has to uh, qualify for neurofeedback. Uh, by a certain level of failure, and and uh, tragically, uh, this is this is also the case uh, in the educational system. It one has to uh, fall several years behind uh, in educational performance before one qualifies uh, for support. Yeah. This strikes me as utter lunacy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, every child should ideally be allowed to function. Uh, at, at their optimum and, and, and not simply be uh, compared to some, uh, some arbitrary, uh, arbitrary standard, uh, particularly since uh, people perform so very differently in different domains of function. Yeah. So, so um, what, what has become apparent in our neurofeedback work is that we cannot tell with a child walking in what the potential of neurofeedback is for that child. Yep. It's often quite significant, but we have no no good notion of just no way of predicting just how far this goes with uh, with uh, with any particular child right yeah not even with brain maps or anything else you can't you just simply can't tell till you get in there right right so uh, so as i look at the the school population we of course see right now see the difficult end the people who really need 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 help tends to dominate our clinical practice but as i as i look at the school at large uh school population at large and uh, with this with this perspective, I would say it's it's pretty clear that across the spectrum of of function of of performance from top top performers to the people struggling at the bottom end, we have no idea what their intrinsic capability uh, is. And so it's not just the bottom end 
that is entitled to uh, to uh, state support and so forth. It's really across the board. There are examples in our in our uh, treatment history here over the last twenty years or more, uh, in which children who were actually performing reasonably well in school, they had some reason to come to us, and then you know we work with them, and then they start flourishing academically. Um, the the issue that they they came for you know was unrelated to their their academic performance the academic performance was fine but it was way short of what the uh, of what the potential was yeah so so these people that that are sort of in the middle of the pack and and certainly the people who are uh, at the top of the heap you know in the upper part of the performance spectrum in, in school uh, they they don't get attention because they're deemed to be okay but they, in our terms now of the self-care model, where you would like, you, where we're saying there is potential benefit health-wise of maintaining an optimally functioning brain, these children deserve a chance at neurofeedback just like the learning disabled children. And so the, the moral argument really is, uh, has to be that since we do not know what the intrinsic potential is of each child, we have to offer everyone the, the opportunity to train, irrespective of starting point. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, because academic performance is not the only criterion. It, in, in our new emerging health, uh, you know, global health perspective, where we're saying that brain functionality is core to uh, the issue of long-term health outcomes, uh, we, we then say every child deserves an opportunity uh, to have to have their brain trained, um, and Absolutely. and obviously that has to be at some level uh, funded by the state, even though the service won't be delivered, It'll be right. privately delivered, uh, just like we have in healthcare now. So this this shifts uh, this shifts the whole burden of care to a prevention model, uh, and. Not well, only. you know, and the problem is, of course, prevention in the current medical model is really called early detection, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not and prevention the, at all. Right. But, of course, yeah. the kind of prevention we're talking about is, is pennies on the dollar compared with the uh, alternatives. So. Right. The early detection uh, schemes and so forth really are not turning out to, to, to make that much difference. They, they're think? expensive <laughs> and of marginal benefit. So the real prevention has to be are seen in a much more positive frame, namely the maintenance of functionality. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the degree, too, to which a person can come into a place of self-empowerment by educating themselves um, about what's available, about you know, their own health, and, and not just simply being dependent on a system where m the motives lie entirely, you know, with profit and not, not necessarily the public interest. You know, the more effective the pursuit of real health care um, is going to be, and it all takes really growing up a little and uh, being better informed and taking responsibility, though uh, which our culture has not historically done well and has not necessarily been conditioned to do. So right. the transition, of course, is quite difficult. Well, I'm hearing the music here. Um, Siegfried, as always, you bring a thoughtfulness and a certain uh, wisdom um, to what we've talked about here um, and to what we always talk about. And you've been a greater influence with me than you may ever know. And uh, I'm genuinely proud to say that. Uh, I want to thank you uh, for so many things, but in particular for taking the time to come on the show today and sharing your valuable thoughts with us. 
Um, thank you, Siegfried. Well, hey, I certainly enjoyed it. <laughs> so how can people find uh, the EEG Institute? Well, the, the quick way is just to go to eeginfo.com and uh, get acquainted with the website. There's information on research and there's a description of neurofeedback. Uh, and, uh, and then there's also an EEG Institute site. We have a program for, uh, for serving our veterans at no cost. Uh, which is just extraordinarily effective. Yes. We're dealing with Vietnam-era veterans, pr- pulling them back into functionality. It is just a joy to see. And uh, we, we really could use... Uh, the, the, the word needs to be spread a little yes. more. Uh, a lot of the Vietnam-era veterans have simply given up. Yep. Uh, and they just don't want to hear about new therapies. And they need to know this is different. This is worth doing. Yes. Even though it's weird. <laughs> Yeah, I hope everybody avails themselves of all of these resources. This is uh, incredible stuff that more people need to know about. And for all of the rest of you out there who have listened to and supported this show, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I hope all of you will continue to tune in to my website, primalbody-primalmind.com, and also my neurofeedback website, northwest-neurofeedback.com. Um, and I hope on my Primal Body, uh, Primal Mind site, you sign up for my newsletter and that you uh, pay me a visit on Facebook, too, so I can keep you all on top of what's happening next. The best, I promise you, is yet to come. Until then, remember, if it wouldn't look like food to someone wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, folks, it's not food to us now, either. This is Nora Gaddis. You've been listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and thank you all for listening. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at wwwprimalbody primalmind.com, where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week.